0: Good morning. This morning we're going to read uh, Matthew twelve thirty three through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Root of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man, out of good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak... They will give account of it in their day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will also be condemned. Uh, Years ago, a couple of psychiatrists, Clifford Notarius and Howard Markman, they wanted to study what what made some marriages work and what made some fall apart. And here's what they did. They... they, uh, They got a huge group of couples to agree to to be studied through 10 years of their marriage. And at the end of that time, they they published a book with their findings. And one of them, it's called We Can Work It Out. It's kind of old now. But one thing is very interesting in their findings. They said they found a predictor that's 93% accurate. They said, here's one thing after one year of marriage we can look at, and if we had all the information, could tell to at a 93% accuracy whether or not this marriage is going to last or end in divorce. And here was the indicator. It was words. They said, in marriages that ultimately ended in divorce... In the first year of those marriages, there were derogatory words, put downs, biting words in 10% on average or more. 10%, 10 out of every 100 conversations. On the other hand, of the marriages that ultimately lasted through the 10 years, there were derogatory words, hurtful words, put downs in an average of five percent of conversations. The predictor was was words. Now does that mean those words those hurtful words caused the ending the end of those marriages? Not necessarily. Because the words come from hearts. The words are a symptom of a heart problem. But nonetheless, words matter. That's why the Bible has a lot to say about what we use our mouths, our lips, our words to do. We're told over and over and over again in the scriptures to use our words to build up, to encourage To strengthen, to nourish, to exhort. And we're told over and over in the scriptures not to use our words to tear down, to belittle, to harm. Words matter. Words matter because they give us, like it or not, an accurate snapshot of our hearts. And words will matter eternally as well. Today's passage that Doug just read for us is a great example of this teaching where Jesus, in this case, teaches us to be careful with our words, to consider where they come from. This is a a snippet, a a little bit of a bigger conversation. Jesus is in a conversation with some scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders who have rejected Jesus. They have uh, they've used their words to tell people that Jesus does miracles by the power of Satan instead of the power of God. They've used their words to encourage people to stop following Jesus and keep listening to them. They're using their words to scheme behind the scenes on how they might kill Jesus. They've used their words to to bash Jesus for his positions on what he thinks is acceptable behavior on the Sabbath. And Jesus is beginning to tell these guys and anyone who will listen, you reject Jesus at your own peril. And he's going to tell these guys today, I can tell what your hearts are like just by listening to your words. He's going to tell these guys, I can tell you're wicked by listening to your words because your words come from an honest place. They come from your heart. And so as we look at this little... Portion of this conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders, we're going to see the importance of our words. Our words are important because, again, one, they show us a picture of our hearts, and two, our words are important because they will be used against us at our judgment. And then we're going to be reminded that the only way we can address our words in any Way that makes a positive, lasting change is to work on the source, our hearts. That's where we're going today. Let's start in verse thirty-three, where Jesus gives a little bit of a, a metaphor that I think is defending himself, and he is accusing the religious leaders. Here's what he says in Matthew twelve thirty-three. He says, "Either make the tree good." And its fruit good, its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Jesus has used a tree and its fruit metaphor before. He uses it a little differently today. Here's how I think Jesus is defending himself. The people he's talking to just got done accusing him of being indwelt by Satan, doing miracles by the power of demons, using devil magic. And here's what Jesus says as he defends himself. Why don't you examine my behaviors, examine what I've done, examine my words. And if that stuff's all good, it's probably because the tree is good and that's I'm putting on good fruit. All my good behavior comes because my heart is good. On the other hand, though, Jesus is necessarily telling the bad guys in our story, the Pharisees and the scribes, this. Let's examine your fruit. Let's examine your words and your actions. Your words you use to tell people I'm indwelt with Satan. Your words, I know, have been behind the scenes trying to figure out how you can assassinate me. Your, you know, if the tree is right, the fruit will follow. If the tree is rotten, the fruit will be rotten also. The Pharisees, their fruit is blasphemy and, and self-righteousness and jealousy and envy and covetousness. And it comes from their hearts. That's what Jesus is going to continue teaching. The next two verses, he gets very frank, as he often did. Verses 34 and 35, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you offspring of vipers, are you sons of snakes? How are you able to say anything good since you are evil? For the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. The good person brings good things out of his good treasury. The evil person brings evil things out of his evil treasury. So Jesus calls them the sons of snakes. That's not a compliment. And then he tells them basically, here's what Jesus says. I don't know how you guys keep from saying anything that's not abjectly evil, because you are so evil, I I don't know how, it's a small miracle that you say anything that's not just detestable. That's also not a compliment. Jesus is hinting, and then he begins to teach, and this is most of the the rest of the, the passage, but... Jesus says what comes out of people's mouths is a result of what's in their hearts. Jesus is teaching a truth of human nature. What is in our hearts and in the, old, in, the, in the biblical idea of heart, I'm not talking about just feelings. The heart is the center of emotions and thought and will. Maybe like a combination of our brains and our hearts is kind of what we would think. What's in there eventually comes out in our words. Now, we can control what comes out of our mouths temporarily, but not permanently. We can make our words different than what's inside, but not for very long. I don't know if you know the book of Job, the story of the book of Job. Job was a pretty good guy who had incredibly bad stuff happen to him. And then after incredibly bad stuff happened to him, he had this parade of friends come and give him some really terrible advice and terrible reasonings for why the bad stuff happened to him. And one of the last ones that talk a young, talks a younger man named Elihu illustrates what I'm trying to say here, what Jesus was talking about here, that our, our mouths can be like a pressure relief valve. You know what a pressure relief valve is? If if you've ever seen your water heater, there's a little thing on the top of your water heater. It's a pressure relief valve. And if the pressure gets too high inside there, that valve will open up and literally let off steam. Our mouths can be like that. makes me think of Elihu talking to Job. He'd been listening for a long time and hadn't said anything. And then he says this. I too will answer my part. I too will explain what I know. For I'm full of words and the spirit within me constrains me. Inside I'm like wine which has no outlet. outlet. Like new wine skins I'm ready to burst. I will speak so that I might find relief. I'll open my lips so that I may answer. How many of you know, even though that's a really old Hebrew poem, you know exactly what Elihu feels like right there? By the way, he's not a good example. You felt like this, right? I've been biting my tongue as long as I can. And now you're going to hear what's in here. That's our words. That's our mouth. With what's in our hearts. We can keep thoughts and feelings from coming out temporarily. But never permanently. To these guys... Jesus is saying, This is why it's a small miracle. I can't believe you don't say that everything that comes out of your mouth isn't just pure evil because I know your hearts are that bad. And then at the end of this passage, Jesus says something that is at the same time fascinating and terrifying that hints at, or or just beats us over the head with, really, the importance of our words. Those words that come out of our pressure relief valves can and will be used against us in a court of law. We have the right to remain silent. We just can't do it. Our words will be replayed at our judgment. That's what Jesus says here. He says, I tell you, That on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every uh, worthless or idle or empty word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. Or by your words, you'll be declared not guilty or acquitted. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Notice in verse 36. Jesus is no longer talking just to the Pharisees. How many people will have to give an account of their words on judgment day according to that first verse on the screen there, 36? Everybody. All people. All people will stand before God in judgment. All people will have to answer for every, every word they spoke during their life, every word. Wow. Now, before I say anything else about that, I want to remind you, as I've done countless times, for everyone who is in Christ in their lifetime, if you have believed on Jesus for your salvation, you will stand before Him in judgment, but your judgment will not be to determine whether you spend eternity in hell or heaven. That's taken care of at the cross. But every single person, Christians and non-Christians alike, will stand before God and be judged for what we have done in our lives, including our very words. So are our words, are our words important? I'd say so. Jesus says we're going to have our very words brought out in judgment. They, they can and will be used against us in the high court. And I want you to notice this. The words that are going to be used against us in our judgment are not our carefully thought out positions. Not only, anyway, the ones we've really had time to think about and frame just right. right? Not the ones we've proofread and edited and decided, okay, this is what I think and believe. You know which words are going to be replayed? All of them. Which means the ones that come out of my pressure relief valve when I can't help it and I just had to say something. Careless ones. Idle ones. Worthless ones. God has heard them all and He will replay them all. And then we will be very happy if Now, we have used words to encourage and to build up and to to invite people to church and to tell people about Jesus and do good things with our words. We will be so happy then that we've done that now. And by the same token, we will be sorry then for all the times we have used our words for things we should not have used them for. We'll be rewarded for the ones we've done right with. We will lose reward and the opportunity for reward for the ones we've done a bad job with. But then Jesus says this about our judgment. Verse 37. Not only will our judgment someday before the Lord, not only will that be, include a judgment of our words, it's a judgment by our words. We'll be judged by Our own words. In verse 37, Jesus tells the Pharisees here, by your words, you'll either be justified or condemned, declared not guilty or guilty based on your words. Here's how that's going to go down for the Pharisees. (laughs) Pharisees, uh, have you been plotting something in secret that no one would think is good? Yeah. Have you been. Will you uh, collect false witnesses to use against the, the trial of an innocent man? Yes. And your judgment's not going to go well. I'm going to replay that. Jesus says, Jesus is, he's hinting at something Paul draws out in a bigger picture in Romans chapter 2. And it's so parallel to this, I want to, I want to share that with you this morning, even though we're not going to you know, preach through Romans, at least not now. Paul describes Romans as Paul's masterpiece. Romans is where the Apostle Paul lays out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be declared not guilty by God. And he spends the first three chapters building a case that there is no person who has or will ever live save for Jesus himself who could stand before God and be declared innocent. Toward the end of that section, Romans 1, 2, and 3, it's where Paul says things like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. Then Paul says something that's maybe hard to swallow. Twice, once in chapter 1, once in chapter 2, Paul says this, every single person is without excuse before God without excuse before God here's what that means there is no one no matter where he or she was born what they heard what they learned there's not one person who can stand before God in judgment and offer an excuse that will make them you know their case be thrown out of court God I didn't know you were real I didn't know you existed I never heard about Jesus there's my excuse. It would be unfair for you to condemn me. Paul says, no one has an excuse. You know why? Our words. Let me explain what I mean. And we're going to start at the bottom of the screen here, I think. This is kind of Paul's conclusion to this little part. Trust me, I'm going somewhere that's going to relate to this sermon. Romans 2.12 In his argument, the conclusion of his argument that no matter who you are, you're without excuse before God. You're going to be declared guilty. You're going to be condemned unless you follow his logic through the rest of the book, which is is accepting Christ as your Savior. Romans 2.12 For all who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Here's what he said right there. Well, Well. Pastor Matt, what about somebody who never, they're not a Jew and they didn't grow up in a Christian place. They don't believe that the Bible's God's Word. They don't believe these, they didn't ever hear that these were the standards people had to live by. It would not be fair for God to judge people according to a book they didn't even know existed. That's a pretty good excuse, right? Not so fast. The second part is easier. He says, if, if you were raised in a Christian land and you do believe this is the word of God, well, God will just use this to judge you. But God wouldn't have to use this to judge people in order to prove that they're without excuse and they're guilty. Romans, the first two verses of Romans chapter two say this. Therefore, you are without excuse Whoever you are, this is the person who was raised in China, and wherever, and they didn't hear about Jesus. They never had a chance. They should, God can't hold them accountable. Here's Paul's reasoning for why God can. Therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are. Here's why. You judge someone else. And on whatever grounds you judge someone else, you condemn yourself because you who judge practice the same things you judge other people for. Verse two, now we know that God's judgment is in accordance with, with the truth against those who practice such things, against who live that way. Here's what Paul is saying. Um, a guy named Francis Schaefer had the best explanation of Romans chapter two I've ever heard. This is what I'm sharing with you. He was a brilliant 20th century evangelical mind. Francis Schaefer said, Romans chapter two is all about the tape recorder that records your words. He said, it's as if every single person who was ever born was born with a tiny recording device implanted in the back of their neck back here. They didn't know it was there. And it records every word they say and think. And if God wanted to, here's what Paul's argument is, he could use that tape recorder to prove to them they are without excuse and they are guilty, morally, morally. And here's the way the scene would go down according to Francis Schaeffer. So someone dies, they suddenly find themselves in front of a God they didn't know existed. And they think, oh no, I'm in trouble. And they start with the excuse, I didn't know you were real. I never heard of Jesus. You can't hold me accountable for stuff I didn't know about. God could say, you are correct. Far be it from me to be unfair. I want to be fair, so we're going to do this your way. And God reaches around, and he pulls the recording device out from the back of their neck, and the guy goes, Oh, man, I didn't know that was there. God, Well, you wouldn't have known. it was it's invisible. But here's what we're going to do, because I want to be fair. I'm going to push play on this, and we're going to just listen to a replay of every word you thought or spoke. And what I'm going to do, God says is I'm going to write down your moral code. I'm going to write down what you said was right and wrong. So every time you got angry because what someone else did, because a good person shouldn't do that, I'm going to write that down. And every time you got angry because somebody didn't do something a reasonable moral person should have done, I'm going to write that down. And at the end of this recording, we're going to have your moral code. I'm going to let you set the rules. Then we're going to rewind the tape, and we're going to play it back, and we're going to see how you did when you get to set the rules and you set the moral code. And guess what? There's not one single person who ever lived that would be innocent, even on their own moral code. You know how lost we are? You know how dependent upon the grace of God through Jesus Christ that we are? We don't just fall short of His standards, we fall short of ours. We can't even keep our own rules. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 12. 36 and 37 you're going to stand before me and I'm going to push the play button and I'll let you tell me if you think you are innocent or guilty for the Pharisees they thought they were righteous they thought they kept all the rules Jesus says hey before we push play do you think it would be right to plot an assassination of somebody and you know, not let anybody know what they were doing uh, no that's not right well you did it There's a right to collect false litna- witnesses and lie under oath no Is a right to not help people based on your own greed no every single person would fall under that kind of judgment over and over and over Jesus brought this message as part of his message Whoever you are, you do not want to stand before God on your own. You just don't. You better come to me or you're in real trouble. If you come to me, I won't cast you off. But you do not want to stand on your own record before a holy and righteous God. That's why Paul would say, You're going to be without excuse. So, are our words important? If you're with me this far, if nothing else, I hope you have this feeling going on in your Man, I want my words to be better than they have been. Right? I, I, wanna, I want my words are going to be replayed. I'm going to stand before God. He's going to hit the play button. And I want there to be more good ones than bad ones. More uplifting ones than tearing down ones. Because they're important. So how do we How do we do that? And, and our mouths are pressure relief valves so we can't just try harder bite our tongues harder how, could, how do we improve our words we got to go to the source we got to address our hearts that's the storehouse for what becomes our words this is what Jesus said at the very beginning of the passage he said make the tree good and the fruit will be good Our words come out of our hearts in the same way fruit comes out of a tree. You want good fruit, get a healthy tree. You want good words, get a healthy heart. Now here's the problem. That's an overly simplistic solution, Jesus. It's like Jesus is telling the Pharisees, hey, if you guys want to have better words, you better fix your hearts. Good luck with that. Because he knows they can't do it. You can't fix your own heart. You can't fix your own heart any more than you can pick yourself up. But if our heart's not fixed, our words are are not going to be pleasing to the Lord or to us when he hits the play button. We can't fix our own hearts, but good news, Jesus can. And he does. It was always promised to be this way. In the Old Testament, through the prophet Ezekiel, when when God was promising the Messiah, the, the new covenant that Jesus instituted with His blood on the cross, what God said through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove that heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. And then... You will obey my statutes and observe my regulations. Here's what that says. If you want your words to be better, you can't focus on your words. If you want your words to be better, you've got to focus on your heart. Heart change comes first, and then the words follow. And I'll end this morning with Proverbs 4.23. says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. Above all else, guard your heart, because everything you do flows out of it, including what you say. So how do we improve our words? First, it's guarding our hearts First step one, more important than any of the rest, you have to make sure you've received a new heart from the Lord. Otherwise, you just your pressure relief valve is in, is in different levels of pressure at all times. And all you're doing is fixing a symptom and not the problem. Have you received a new heart? Have you gone to the Lord and said, I know when I stand before you and push play, I am doomed on my own. Will you save me from my words and my sins. When God pushes play, if this isn't a part of your recording, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner, and the only hope I have is Jesus Christ and and your forgiveness that comes only through Him. If there's not something like that in the recording of your words, you're going to be in real, real trouble in your judgment. So how do we fix our words? Well, we make sure that's part of our words, that we've accepted the salvation that God offers only through Jesus. Then for those of us who have done that, if I, I do want better words when God presses play, maybe you could look back, maybe we could look back, and as God plays the tape, this date in July of 2018 would be a difference maker when God, on, on the tape. Wouldn't that be awesome? Where your judgment. You could, you could sit there and cringe for, for, <laughs> up until that point. And then you could be like, hey, this, there's going to be more good than bad from here on out, God. Wait and see. Here's how we do that. To guard our hearts, we have to guard what goes into our heart. And remember, this is not just feelings. This is the center of my mind, my thoughts, my emotions. What Garbage in, garbage out is not just for computers. That's a a concept for life. What do I put into my heart? I cannot constantly feed myself garbage and expect roses. I, I can't feed myself sinful stuff. I can't feed myself stuff God hates and hope my words become things God loves. That's senseless. I have to... Why? Why do I guard what goes into my heart because I'm prudish and I'm no fun and I'm old fashioned no because God's going to press play on the tape and what goes in my heart is what's going to come out through my life and I'm living for that day more than this day so I guard what goes in to my heart what I consume next number three to pay attention to what you treasure. In verse 35, Jesus said, what comes out of our mouths comes from the treasury of our hearts. That's an intentional word. From what we value, from what we treasure, controls what comes out of our life through our words. What do you value? What do you treasure? What's important to you? What do you live for? Because where I don't live for Christ and his glory, when I live for any other thing, that's going to control what I say. And listen, everything else can be threatened. When I live for something that I know can be threatened, when it gets threatened, my words won't be good. If I live for popularity and acceptance, when that gets threatened, what happens to my words? They get mean. They get manipulative. If I live for control and power, when that gets threatened, my words get mean and manipulative. See, the truth is, God really won't judge our words. God judges our hearts. The words are the evidence. So we better pay attention to what we treasure, what we value, because it controls our hearts. Number four, we better take inventory of what we store up in our hearts if we want our words to be better. In verse 34, Jesus said, the mouth speaks what fills the heart. What's your heart full of? If you want your words to be words of love and encouragement, you better fill your heart with love and encouragement. If your heart's full of anger, bitterness, jealousy, envy, eventually that's going to come out in our words. See, the problem isn't our ability, our willpower to keep what's in there from coming out. It's a heart problem. What's your heart filled with? I think most of us either we're constantly fighting one of two things when we do this the wrong way. We're trying to keep what's really in here from coming out, and that that meant. So what we do is we put on a mask and we build walls, trying to make sure what's in here doesn't ever come out because I don't want you to know what's really in here. That's hypocrisy. And it can work for a little bit depending upon how good of a pressure relief valve you have. The other side of it is, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I am not interested in being fake. So all this anger and bitterness and vitriol and hatred, oh, I have no problem bringing it out because I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to be fake. Listen, hypocrisy doesn't give us a license to be mean. The solution, no matter which way we're at, either hypocrisy on one side or just meanness on the other side, is address our hearts. Take our hearts to the Lord. Clean out the stuff so He will clean out the stuff that's stored in there. We drag our sin into the light, expose it to Him. He's faithful to forgive and cleanse us from that stuff. We get rid of the bitterness and the anger and all that stuff. And then what can come out of our hearts matches what's there. What comes out of our mouths matches what's in our hearts, That's the goal. Clean up our hearts so we don't have to hide. Clean up our hearts so we can be honest without being brutal. Jesus said it this way. Make the tree good. And the fruit will be good. Someday God's going to hit play on the words of our life. He's going to judge us, not just judge our words, judge us by our words. He's really going to be judging our hearts. The words will be the evidence entered into court. They can and will be used against us in a court of law. But our goal shouldn't be to figure out how to remain silent. Our goal should be how to have a clean heart so that I have good words on that tape one day. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for your word that you did not withhold, that you did not remain silent. Thank you that you, you showed us, you taught us, you told us ahead of time that you're going to press play on the tape of our life one day. And you told us, The only solution would be to come to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for that new heart. God, I just pray that you would help us to just be heart maintainers. We would constantly be assessing the, the condition of our hearts, what they're filled with, what we treasure, what we put into our hearts because that's the problem. The words are a symptoms. Our feelings are a symptom. God, do a work in our hearts. Lord, help us to drag into the light our sin and expose it to you, that which what you already know. Help us bring our our bitterness and our anger to, to you. And God, there might be people here that just need help with that. So I pray you would uh, lead them to reach out uh, to me, to Rachel, to, to a counselor we would suggest. God, that their hearts might, that they might make their tree good, that you might make their tree good and show them what the fruit of their life might look like when it comes off of a good tree that only you can produce. We love you, Lord. Create in us a clean heart. In Jesus' name.